Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn H., Managing Editor of Digital Content at TrainingIndustry.com, here with my co-host, Scott Rutherford, Head of Digital Operations and Marketing at Training Industry. This episode is all about sourcing for corporate training. We'll talk about how to approach decisions about when to outsource, and also how to manage and develop requests for proposals, or RFPs, for training products and services. So today, our expert on training outsourcing is Doug Harwood, the CEO and founder of Training Industry. And this episode of The Business of Learning is sponsored by the Certified Professional in Training Management Credential. Hi, I'm Brandy, and I'm the Learning Program Administrator for the Certified Professional in Training Management Program. The CPTM program was designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. And when you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com. Doug Harwood, thanks for being on The Business of Learning. And thanks, Scott and Taryn, for having me. This is a topic that's close to the heart of training industry. We grew out of a business that Doug founded that focused on the outsourcing of training, and that's one reason that training industry continues to focus on connecting the people who design, deliver, and manage training programs with the companies that provide the products and services for the training sector. So let's get started. Uh, first, Doug, maybe you can give us some background on your career as a learning leader um, and and how you first started to look at outsourcing as a capability or an important part of the uh, training function within the business. Sure. My career actually started in industrial engineering and production management. I uh, actually got into training somewhat happenstance, uh, as I'm sure many training professionals have somewhat similar experiences. I was leading a factory transformation project that our company didn't have a training organization at the time to train employees on the changes that were coming down the pipe form. And so I had to start a training group as somewhat a secondary activity to what I was doing, uh, just so I could make sure the project would be successful. My career then progressed over time to where I was leading the global employee learning uh, team for the same company. And then I was asked to work on a team uh, that was um, basically tasked to transform how we managed all the corporate services for a 90,000 employee company. Uh, and, uh, And what we started doing was researching, going around the globe, looking at companies, how they managed them in different continents and uh, trying to trying to understand what would be best for us what we learned during this exercise was how important it was to have very very good information not only just about suppliers but also about process and and how you do things Um, and what was kind of surprising to us when we actually did this particular engagement it turned out that it was the largest training outsourcing deal that had ever been done so not only did we kind of cut our teeth and trying to understand what we're doing we also found scale in what we're doing and we got a lot of attention so that's when I decided that and and learned that maybe we had something to offer to other companies and I left there and started uh, training industry about 16 years ago now uh, with the focus on doing research and providing information to both buyers and suppliers of um, you know what are the best practices in the training industry how do you source who are the who are the right suppliers or best suppliers all those kinds of things that we now do at tradingindustry.com. 
Great, so let's start by defining what exactly outsourcing means. Doug, can you describe what, what that means in the corporate training context in particular? Sure, so outsourcing is essentially a business model for how you use resources to get things done. So in training, we always have a choice of how we use resources. We can either choose, and this is kind of the not best choice, but we can, we can choose not to train at all. Right, which basically means don't use resources to do training. Just let the learners figure it out on, on their own. And, uh, and uh, as you can best guess, we kind of know how that turns out. Or we can use internal resources to get things done, and that's great when training requires a lot of proprietary information. Or there may not be resources in the open market to be able to do that work for you. The third alternative, of course, then, is when we use external resources. Uh, and that's when we need talent Uh, or expertise that we may not have internally to get things done and sometimes that talent can even be less expensive than what we can uh, than what we can do it for ourselves Um, and with that then when we use external resources there are many many different forms of outsourcing there are models such as what we call comprehensive BPO or comprehensive business process outsourcing. This is basically when we use a supplier to manage all aspects of the training function. Then we have what's called selective BPO or selective outsourcing. And this is where we may use one supplier to manage certain components of training, but not, but not all of the training processes of the organization. And the last is what we call outtasking. And in outtasking, you have two basic forms. It's what we call licensing or transact, transacting, transactional uh, type of uh, sourcing or contracting. Uh, licensing is basically when we're licensing the right to use someone else's intellectual property, whether it be their courseware or a technology. Contracting is basically when we're hiring or renting resources to manage something. So we may be you know, contracting with company X to do instructional design or to do delivery or something like that. Understanding all these forms of outsourcing and all these forms of, 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 um, of sourcing models is really, really critical to trying to figure out how you're gonna get the best partner for your particular business. So, Doug, with that, how does an organization start to evaluate suppliers? Uh, There's a model on trainingindustry.com, the competitive differentiators model, um, that can help guide this decision, but maybe you can take us through the outsourcing decision-making process. Years ago, we began researching why some sourcing engagements worked well and why some didn't. And what we learned was that many training leaders didn't understand well how to evaluate one supplier from another and the factors that really differentiate suppliers. So through this research, we created this model uh, to help us in the selection and supplier evaluation process, which we call that competitive differentiators model. The model basically identifies the most critical factors you should use to evaluate uh, suppliers on. And it breaks those factors into three basic categories. So let me explain the three categories real quickly. First is what we call process capabilities. And process capabilities are those factors uh, such as content development, delivery, technology, administration. It's basically the capabilities that suppliers have that that, uh, allows them to do the work that we need for them to do. The second category is what we call business attributes. And these include factors like geographic reach, financial viability, cultural compatibility, and several more. These are basically factors that are directly 
related to the company's culture and how they provide their services, but really doesn't have anything to do with training itself. It's just, for an example would be, let's say we're going to, we have an engagement that's going to be a $5 million a year estimated cost engagement. Well, we probably wouldn't want to source that with a company that does $2 million in revenues now because they may not have the financial viability. Another uh, kind of way of thinking about it, too, is, for example, if we, let's say we need a partner to deliver training in South America. We probably wouldn't want a company whose limited geographic reach is in, is in Europe. Right, and so those attributes are, they may not necessarily be directly related to training, but they're critical in how to select a supplier. The third category is what I call general attributes. And general attributes are those time-tested kind of ways of evaluating suppliers, and that's price, quality, and speed. Unfortunately, we find ourselves all too often migrating to these particular factors first, instead of understanding those business attributes and process capabilities, right? So what we teach in our process in, in evaluating a supplier is to start first with process capabilities. Identify the companies that can do what you need for them to do. Then you'll narrow that list down based upon those companies whose business attributes fit your cultural your culture uh, of your organization. Can, can that organization do the work where financially that you need for them to do and then you get to price quality and speed right instead of starting with the price and choosing the the lowest price supplier and we know what happens sometimes when we start with price we get what we pay for right now let's say uh, i've decided to outsource a particular process for my training organization should i start by defining the business need and then what's the next step uh absolutely you start with need the way I like to think about it is first you must understand you before you begin trying to understand the supplier, right? So before you go out to a supplier and start talking to them before you create any kind of a request for, for information proposal, you have to define what it is you need to get done, right? And so it, it's somewhat of a self-discovery, a reflection process, understanding what your requirements are. Uh, how you want it to be done, how you expect it to be done, how you, you would expect a supplier to perform in your business. And then you can get into the proposal process and start defining for a, another supplier or for many suppliers for that matter, uh, how you want them to get it done and what you want them to propose. So as we talk through this process, uh, I, we're, I think we're trying to resist using too many uh, undefined acronyms. Absolutely. Um, but you'll hear the term RFI, RFP, RFQ sometimes. Um, can you take us through uh, what those mean and how they're different? Happy to do it. And, and it's a great question because I think they're, they're oftentimes very misunderstood. Let's start with RFI, which is Request for Information. A Request for Information is generally the first step of going out to the market and soliciting information for suppliers at this at this time you're not going out and telling a supplier or communicating what it is you want done all you're looking for is for them to communicate to you what their capabilities are and in the rfi stage here you may be very open to soliciting information from many many suppliers Right? But what we don't recommend is that, that you use the same kind of approach to reaching out an RFI and RFP. So now let's look at RFP then. Request for proposal, that is where you communicate your needs that we just spoke about just a second ago. This is where you go out and you communicate to a supplier, 
this is what I'm looking for, and this is what I want you to bid on. This is how I'd like for you to perform. This is where I want you to do it. This is when I'd like for you to do it. This is where you kind of put, you open your kimono and put all the information out there and say, this is what we need for you to do. An RFQ, which is a request for quote, is actually something that, that kind of trails each of those. An RFQ is often uh, attached or done at, within the process of, of um, request for a proposal. An RFQ is basically when we are just soliciting information such as a price. Now, if you do an RFQ independent of the RFI RFP, you're basically communicating to the market that you're getting ready to buy a commodity. Now, let's be real. Training is not a commodity. There's very important differentiating factors uh, that all suppliers have and also about the, the, uh, the performance level that you expect of a supplier. All right, so, so let's kind of take RFQ and kind of put in the background and say, you know what, we may do that after we've already identified suppliers. Oftentimes we do that, um, you know, somewhere downstream when we already have a relationship with the supplier. What advice do you have for someone who wants to assemble an RFP and maybe they've never done it before? Well, first begin by doing your homework. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the process of selecting a supplier is probably one of the most important strategic decisions you're going to make as a training manager. And, and don't get me wrong, there are many, many important strategic decisions you'll make in your lifetime as a training manager. But it's one of those where you're spending the company's dollars you're, and you're impacting many, many resources around the business. So, so do it very well. Be very deliberate. Do your homework. Understand the process first of, of uh, sourcing. And there's a very detailed seven-stage process that you can get on, on training outsourcing on, uh, that you can find on our website at trainingindustry.com and our wiki. That walks you through the seven stages and when this proposal should be sent out, those kinds of things, when is negotiations to begin, those kinds of things. So do your homework. Uh, the next thing I, I would also advise is, is think about training from a very process perspective. We oftentimes put training uh, in the perspective of it's an event, it's a course, it's a program, it's a time and place. Learning is a, is a very extended process, and it happens through a period of time. And so the, the, the process of managing learning or managing training, whether it be on constituents' behalf or on your company's behalf, requires a lot of processes that come to play. We also have a, um, a model on our website that we call the Training Process Framework. Uh, if you look at that, that framework, what it does is it defines the 27 business processes of managing a training function. And we drew it in somewhat of an orchestra kind of grap graphical view. The reason we did that is think of yourself as a training manager as being the conductor of the orchestra. Your job is to understand all the processes and put them all together and get them to work in a very harmonious way. Right, and the more harmonious, the more effective you can do that, then the more effective your learning is, and maybe also the more efficient it is. Um, uh, other advice I would give is, again, don't focus on, on price too early. That, I understand clearly that, that uh, price is always gonna become an important factor, Focus first on a supplier's capabilities, next on their attributes, and then kind of make that decision on price, quality, and speed. So I think they're some of the most uh, important things to consider in sourcing. 
Yeah, that gets into another uh, topic that I wanted to talk about, which is the question of how do you publicize your RFP once you've once you've understood the the the, the need? Um, is it best to identify companies and reach out directly, or do you advertise it broadly, or, or what's the, what's the best uh, best approach to to get the best results? Great question, because you, you, there are so many companies out there. You know, narrowing down the playing field and kind of make those determinations is, is a tough. Uh, can be a tough task. Here's what we, what we recommend: use the RFI at, in, in its broadest sense. Use the RFI as your means to reach and touch a lot of companies. Now, a lot is is kind of a relative term. What is a lot? Well, it may be ten, it may be fifteen, it may be twenty. It depends on what's going to work for you. Uh, if you don't know uh, who you should be reaching out to, we provide a list of uh, top companies and a number of different. Uh, capability areas. Um, we do that, and we created that list for the sole purpose of helping companies like yours uh, identify companies who they may want to send either their RFI or RFPs to. So, so I would start the process with RFI. After you do that, then you're going to narrow the field. I would recommend that when you get to the RFP stage, I would really narrow that down and probably not send to more than five companies at a time. Now, that depends on the nature of your engagement, how complex it is. But remember this, it costs you money to, re- to, to evaluate an RFP, and it costs suppliers money and time to respond to an RFP. And what you don't want to do is be guilty of, of, of adding cost to a process that's unnecessary. For example, we sometimes hear people saying, well, you know, as a courtesy, we're going to issue an RFP to Company X. Well, I'm going to advise you against doing the courtesy RFPs. I mean, I understand there may be some political factors that you need to, to be considerate of, but but when you do courtesy RFPs or issued to companies, you know, because you're trying to be nice, respectful, you're really adding cost and uh, and not doing them favors. You're actually kind of hurting the process. So that said, RFP may go to 10 to 20. That's your call and what the number is. Use that as a way to scale that down. I recommend going into uh, uh, issue RFPs to no more than, say, five. Using that process, then you're going to go into what we call the negotiation phase. You may choose to down-select and only go into negotiations with one. Some companies choose to then go, to go into negotiations with two and kind of competitively work each of those against each other. That's going to be your call and what, you know, what your procurement officer recommends you do. So you mentioned some of the resources we have available uh, at trainingindustry.com, and, and certainly the top 20 or the top training companies lists are one of them. Uh, I also, it's worth mentioning that uh, we have a referral service that uh, actually works from the data that drives those lists that can help match need to vendors that specialize in that. So, And what we'll do in the uh, notes for this episode of the podcast is we'll put links to the models and to the resources that we're talking about here to make them easier to find. So with that said, um, I wanted to get into the procurement process uh, within within this uh, topic and and talk a little about about uh, the fact that it's changed uh, over the years and uh, what we have now is e-procurement uh, there are tools like Ariba SAP and Oracle how have those changed uh, the procurement process you know I think it's a really really important topic to talk about because uh, you know no surprise in any in any business model any business process technology is really changing how we do things and it sure is changing how we source 
uh, training suppliers, and, and any supplier for that matter in the company. There are a number of e-procurement tools, literally dozens and dozens, you know, most notably th- companies like SAP and Ariba and these guys that are they're providing a technology that allows you to sort or, or to issue an RFP, allows comp- uh, suppliers to then submit their proposals through the platform. Now, the good news is, is these e-procurement platforms are standardizing the process, and that's really good for the procurement officers. They love that, right? The issue is, for us, it, it sometimes can be limiting on how, uh, how open-ended we can get responses to questions that we may put in a proposal uh, and, and, and um, how detailed a supplier can uh, articulate their approach towards solving our problem. Because that's really what we're looking for in the proposals process is to get their, uh, uh, their solution uh, proposing to how they're going to deal with it. So that's kind of the limiting factor. There's another important component of the e-procurement tools that we need to be aware of, and that is that these tools oftentimes uh, have a capability that we call reverse auction. And what a reverse auction basically allows us to do is to put a number of suppliers uh, in a pool together where they are uh, real-time competitively bidding on our business and they can they may be able to see what the other bids are but they may not be able to see who the other company is or those kind of things and and you know this reverse auction is is in economic terms it's a very efficient process again the issue is it 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 minimizes our ability to select based on those other factors that we've we've already talked about so i would advise you to support your procurement team they're going to oftentimes require it but be very open and honest with them about the importance of understanding these other variables and how you can do that evaluation. You may be able to do that outside of the e-procurement tool, and but make sure that's going to be uh, in line with how your procurement officer wants you to work. Speaking of that, what do you learning leaders need to know about how to work effectively with their colleagues in purchasing? Well, you know, uh, working with your procurement group, is, it's critical. Um, and what we recommend is that you really look at your procurement group as your business partners, not as your enemy. And I, I say that lightly because I have seen oftentimes where training managers kind of get frustrated because the procurement office is expecting you to, to jump through certain hoops, provide certain types of information. And what I, I advise you to do is recognize they're doing that for the business's best uh, that's good, right? And you, and you should support those types of things. But st- when you start the process of sourcing, don't wait till the end when you're ready to, to down select and choose a supplier and then bring procurement in and say, hey, can you go cut a purchase order for it? That's a little bit late in the process. Engage them very early. Have them to be a partner in the process from every stage that you're going through. Have them work with you on, on the outsourcing process. And I guarantee you'll get to a better place at the end. Yeah, because it's probably easy to forget that procurement is supporting many other facets of the business other than L&D. That's exactly right. Now, we, we happen to be one of the bigger spenders in a lot of organizations, but, uh, but you're right. We're just one of many they're supporting and make them a good partner. So any final thoughts before we uh, wrap, wrap up the conversation here today? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, I'd like to reiterate the idea that uh, sourcing is one of the most strategic decisions and important decisions you're going to make as a learning leader. And remember 
that that virtually every training manager, at least we've worked with, and every company we've ever worked with, sources something within training. So you're going to do it. It's going to be an important part of, of your everyday work life. You may make bigger decisions depending on the nature of engagement uh, of a partner, or you may make a lot of smaller decisions, meaning a lot of transactional decisions. But the, but the bottom line is a training supplier can really make you a hero. And I think that's the way to always go into that relationship, thinking about how can they be a great business partner? How can they really, really help us do what we need to do? The second thing, as I mentioned earlier also, is uh, do your homework. Be very deliberate about how you manage the process. Uh, if you do it in a very ad hoc way, you stand the risk of making mistakes. The probability increases. Be very deliberate. Follow the process. There are There's a lot of researchers, a lot of people that's gone through this and, and detailed good approaches to follow and good guidelines to so do that. Uh, and also, I'd like to close with this, is remember that training industry is here to help right this is what we do every day we evaluate suppliers we evaluate the market we evaluate best practices we have tools and resources on our website either to help you with the process um, or um, to help you with decision making models and also to help you find those suppliers we have thousands of suppliers that are listed with us we're very objective in how we look at those and and how we put those forward so uh, uh, so, so use the resources that are out there, and there are other places you can get information too. And, uh, and as Scott mentioned earlier, you know, uh, feel free to call us. We do have a referral service and, and can try to offer up ideas for you. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us today on the Business of Learning. Happy to be here. And for more resources on outsourcing and procurement, visit our website. On the episode page for episode 15, you'll find a list of all the resources that we've talked about today, including a downloadable RFP guide. That's at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And we hope you're enjoying listening to The Business of Learning, and we would really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to suggest a future topic for the podcast or just want to share some thoughts, you can always send us a note at info at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.